Hey everybody, welcome to Righteous Savages. We've got a really special guest today, old friend of mine, Dave Grossman with Grossman on Truth. Stick around, you're going to want to watch this all the way to the end. All right, so here we are with good friend of mine, Dave Grossman. We kind of go, we kind of go way back. We'll get into that here in a little while. But for those of you who don't know Dave Grossman, who have never heard of this guy before, I'll give a quick little intro. Tell everybody about you real quick. So Dave is a family man, husband, grandfather, military veteran. He is a Army Ranger, Lieutenant Colonel, retired from the Army. Whoa author, uh, trainer, prolific trainer of military and law enforcement all across the country. And he's been on the road averaging over 200 days every year on the road for probably two decades or more, I guess, at this point. Uh, so a pleasure to have you here, sir. Well, uh, Dave, honored to be on board with you. So, so your whole entire career of all the accolades has led you to this, the Righteous Savages. Uh, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So here we are. Uh, here we are at the at the pinnacle of everything, the big time. The everything big time. you've accomplished well, in your life. So uh, it's our honor. We appreciate you being here for sure. Uh, so let's just let's talk about also kind of how we got to here and kind of a little backstory about how yeah. we know each other yeah. back in 2012 uh, both of us were at a firearms training class together and we spent a week together doing some firearms training with Chuck Doan and Mike Vaughn and, oh. and had a, a great week and I'm sure that wasn't the beginning of your firearms journey at all but it was the beginning of how we got to know each other and it was really cool because you had been doing this thing for a while before we ever yep. met up at that point but it was a real good time to get together and do some firearms training oh it was a blast yeah so and dave uh, dave was kind of helping to instruct that and he uh he got a bunch of uh, uh windshield glass and from the local you know they, they just throw them away he said well we can use those and we're shooting through, they're sitting in a chair and shooting through glass like you're shooting into or out of a car. It was some best training I've ever had. Yeah. It was a great week. Well, it was we we enjoyed it. It was it's interesting because uh, the colonel had been doing this job his for a while, very well known already at, at what he does, the Bulletproof Mind Seminar. And we had about a dozen people in this class. And the, our lead instructor, Chuck Doan, was like, hey, uh, Lieutenant Colonel, do you mind kind of giving us a little bit of a kind of a, a preview of of your of your bulletproof mind seminar? And man, you just jumped right in it. You had the chalkboard just covered. It was just chalk dust everywhere. <laughs> and I thought the people in this class they don't know the level of training they're getting right now. They have no idea what's going on. But it's really cool to see you just jump right in and, and provide that next but, you know, level. We're, we're all men of faith, and uh, God's had me in His grip for so long. And I, I was just your knuckle dragon, you know, prayer service, paratrooper, sergeant, uh, uh, infantry, soldier, ranger, qualified. And, uh, and I got selected to teach psychology at West Point. And I wanted to get my grad degree on the Army's time. And, and I'm like this square pig that got pounded into a round hole, you know. And, uh, and I ended up doing the psychology of killing. And I wrote my book on killing and coined the concept of killology. And so... You know, who'd have thought to follow that path? So when we were talking, I talked about, you know, the forebrain, the midbrain, sympathetic, parasympathetic. And I put it in a way that all us knuckle draggers can wrap our mind around it and apply it. 
But what a, what yeah. a great path to go from, you know, teaching psych to inter- in getting this warrior uh, resiliency, uh, you know, worldwide. I, I was in the Army 24 years, and uh, and then I've been doing this for 26 years out on the road. Oh, uh, it's been a good ride. That was yeah. awesome. We, we appreciate that you shared that oh. uh, with those guys, and we appreciate what you do all the time out there. One of the things, if you've ever been to one of our training classes for years, ever since 2012, I've been doing this drill that I learned and first heard from Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman called the halfway drill. And essentially, it's a it's a trigger drill to help students not anticipate the gun go off or at least not have it affect them in their shooting. It helps with the accuracy. And it's been just ex- so extremely helpful for students over the last over a decade. Well, t- tell the story you told about yeah, the, sure. the so, range and the girl. Right. So anyway, I learned this from, from the colonel. Essentially, is if you're having a student that's having a problem anticipating the gun going off and they're missing low, then do this drill where you just press the trigger halfway and pause and press the trigger halfway again. And essentially it induces the shooter. It forces them to be surprised. Yeah. You, you, will, you will be surprised when the gun goes off. Halfway back and hold it. Right. So, the, so, there's, so there's no chance for your subconscious to get involved right. and to yeah. help out. So we had a student in a subsequent class um, that was str- struggling extremely, just could not overcome the flinch and the anticipation. And so we had the whole class gather around this student and she was very nervous. She was actually crying. Tears were streaming down her face from the anxiety and the pressure of now everybody's watching. And we were five yards away. We were shooting at a silhouette sized target. She was missing horribly. And I said, now we're going to shoot at this quarter size target. And now she's really freaking out. Like, there's no way this can happen. And we coached her through the drill. I said, all you have to do is aim your gun and press the trigger halfway but don't let the gun go off and hold and then press it halfway more and, and pause. Just don't let the gun go off. And we went through that iteration. The gun went off, scared her half to death. And we looked up and there was a hole in Boom. the middle of that quarter size target. And that's what we mean by a surprise break. Yeah. And so the and light you, bulb went off and uh-huh. she understood that you have to operate the trigger with purpose, with intention, not just, yes. not just, I hope the gun goes well, off. I still do it. You know, I, 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 I do a lot of shooting. And if I find myself, you know, pulling like that, I'll just stop and and do the halfway, halfway back. And you're actually training yourself to trick yourself. Yeah. And then you trick yourself enough, it becomes natural to get that surprise break. Yeah. And you got to get back to the basics sometimes and, and do it with yourself again and bring yourself back to that point. Yeah. And that's a, a Cooper thing for gunsight for sure was the surprise break. Yeah. And, and that's really Front the basis. Side. It's the fundamentals of getting started uh, with shooting, no doubt about it. So... Um, after that point, uh, you went off and, and were continuing to do seminars. We met up a couple of times after a couple of local seminars. And then I think 2014, you brought, uh, some friends and family down to tombstone gun range and, and did some more training there. What the Mecca, Mecca of, of firearms training. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got, it we is. Got, we got it's, front sight, we got gun sight and we got tombstone. Yeah, we do. It's world well, famous, three, world it famous tombstone. I say that on purpose. We had a local uh, World Series baseball competition. Like it was the Colt League World Series held in Marion, Illinois. And so teams literally from all over the world came to Marion to play in this World Series. And there was a bunch of teams. So there's a lot of downtime between games. And one family from the Netherlands decided, hey, let's 
there's a gun range. Let's go shoot some guns. So we had some kids show up with their mom and dad, and they shot handguns and rifles, never shot guns before. And so since we had some people come from the Netherlands to Tombstone Gun Range, we can officially say we're world famous. (laughs) Tombstone Gun Range. So that was was pretty cool. And I've noticed over the years of, of being on the range with you and shooting that you are a gun guy. I mean, you're not just somebody that just hangs out with cops and, and is kind of on the fringe of things. You really are a gun guy, um, a 1911 guy, and you've even got some some patents for some gun parts. Is that right? Yeah, we do. We do. We uh, My son and I had a little gun business, Sheepdog Knife and Gun. Uh, during the pandemic, we just had to kind of shut that down. We had some patent, patented items. So one of the things we have, we call the micro front sight. You know, and, and you guys are looking at that just today at the range. And, uh, yeah. You know, when John Browning first made the 1911, it was like like 50,000th, the front sight. It's just a little skinny thing. Think about a rifle sight. Rifle it's a little bitty thing. You don't have trouble centering it up. And, and it was the first thing they changed because the, it was getting bent. So we got this great big honking thick front sight because it gets bent if you have a skinny one. And, and so what we did, we patented this, this little white line right down the center of the sight. Now, the two things, surprise break and front sight focus. So I had a guy in my range a little while back doing pretty pretty good shooting, but he, I, I, I told him, man, you can tighten this up another notch. I said, what I want you to do is I want you to focus on that front sight. See that white line down the sight? Focus on it. And he pressed off three bullets, all went in the same hole. I said, dude, that's front sight focus. Yeah, That's what it's all about. Yep, it's absolutely. And as long as we're intentional about you know what we're doing. A, th- a lot of people just hope that everything works out. Yeah, they hope they yeah, hit the target. Yeah. And, they, and and the thing is, is nobody's ever been told when it comes to firearms training. Most people have never been to a handgun class. They don't, yeah. they just make it up on their own. They don't really know. Well, I was telling how this telling works. Dave on the range here. I'll share this story. You know, I I uh, I was an uh, infantry officer, carried a 1911, and then they changed the Beretta, and and I carried my own 1911 then because I didn't want to make the switch. And I I shot expert on the range every time, and I thought it was good. And then uh, uh, shortly after I got out of the Army, I went to, to, to Gunsight, one of the great shooting meccas, uh, and Clint Smith was there, kind of. A, and, uh, and I realized I didn't know how to shoot. I mean, I could, I could hold it up and hit the military target, but all of the things that you would, if, you know, and I was at a level of unconscious ignorance. It was a hard couple, three days for the first three days of the, of the range because I had to realize I... I, I, I I'm not good at this. Uh, what the, the military was teaching me was was just the, be, the barest possible beginning. If you really want to be good, go to front site, go to gun site, go to tombstone, take a one week class, and, and and all of the nuts and bolts you really need to understand how to operate that weapon. Yeah. Uh, and and what a tragedy! Yeah, and it's really it's like a journey, just like we were yes. talking earlier about martial arts. You, yes. You're not going to get involved in that for a day or a week and have it all figured out. And it's the same way with any type of firearms training. It's a journey and people should understand this is going to take a while. This is going to take some investment of my time, probably some money and be ready for that long haul. You can, and you can shortcut all that yeah. and think that you're good and you're going to be probably sorely mistaken in the worst you know, time. I, I was telling Dave, we got, I've got their pistol in my gun range, 32 revolver. And the story was 1932, my great grandmother, uh, in New Orleans, sleeping on the second floor, you know, summer, all the windows are open, pre-air conditioning. Some guy climbs up on the second floor balcony and is coming in. And, and Granny, there's an ultimate point-and-click interface. 
Granny pointed that revolver and, and, and pulled the trigger six times. The bad guy went away. Next morning, they followed a blood trail out to the alley. But Granny probably never fired more than 20 rounds in her life. You know, and, and, and that's okay. But, but I tell people, just carrying a guitar does not make you a musician. And if you're going to carry that gun, then start pushing the envelope. I, I'm a huge fan of Hujutsu, the martial art of the firearm, H-O-J-U-T-S-U.com. And, uh, and that's when I really started pushing the envelope. Gun sight, front sight trained, little, little Ipsic IDPA shooting. And suddenly I'm shooting for my black belt. And I realized once again, I wasn't as good as I thought I was. Yeah. And I trained for two years, get my black belt in Hujitsu. You know, I know the shots I was missing, the time hacks I was missing. And it's a, those three-day weekends with Hujitsu is the most fun you'll ever have out on the range. Yeah. But it, it, is there anything on earth better than going to the range with good friends? Fellowship through gun smoke. You know, I, I tell my classes, <laughs> I we make fun of the golfers throughout my whole class. You know, I tell them that the, the, you know, the golf course is a waste of a, 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 is a willful and deliberate misuse of a perfectly good rifle range, you know. So, yeah. And we, we tease the golfers, you know. And, you know, all that time you spent on the golf course, if you'd have spent that time on the range, yeah. think of the skills you'd have walked away yeah. with. Well, I really like to golf, Dave, so I just want to say. I take offense to that. <laughs> I would say as a, as a follow-up, I think that anything that's, that's worth doing in life is a journey. Whether it be learning how to cook or learning how to how to be a good husband or be a good father, it's all a journey. And I think that what we discount and what we try our culture now is such a microwave culture. They don't want to do the the little bitty steps that it takes to get proficient at anything. It's I just want to I just want to throw this in the microwave or you know whatever that means. It's just I want to throw it in there and get what I want out of it in just a few minutes. And I don't want to really devote myself to the study of an art or oh. a study of a of a task or an ability. Yes. And that is, I Praise think that's God. what's lacking in the mindset yes. of, of culture right now. And what we wanted to do in this this whole brotherhood was we we were seeing, and I think Dave said something about this earlier, we were seeing these classes where you'd show up for five hours, get a little bit of good instruction, learn some really cool concepts, but then the instructor's gone, everybody's gone, and nobody really communicates or builds a community. It's just a bunch of guys showing up to a class. And the way we wanted to do different with this was we want to build a brotherhood. Guys that you can, I call them the 3 a.m. buddies. Uh, guys you can call at 3 a.m. Uh, they're going to go help you bury your body. Well, let me give you an so. on this now. Um, you know, whatever it is we're doing is we're doing well. Yeah. You know, I, I don't mind a microwave. I'm in a hurry. Oh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But but where's what's worthy of our of our focus? Right. And one is the Lord. Yeah, Absolutely. Word. Uh, we, I put out the book uh, on spiritual combat. Uh, mm-hmm. Came out a couple years back, and people, I'm, I'm no Grossman on killing. I know on combat. Let's read on spiritual combat. And you know, a lot of bad things happening out there. You take a deep breath. You understand this. You know, we, we it's bring everything to the Lord in prayer. Bring everything in prayer. You, you're, you're, he's a God of big things and little things. He can handle it all. Uh, but sooner or later, we're all going to die. You know, God, give me some more time. Well, sooner or later, that prayer is not going to get answered. And sooner or later, every nation will fall Absolutely. You know, over my dead body. You're right. But everybody dies. Every nation falls. Ultimately, our son will die. Yeah. But eternity continues. Mm-hmm. Keep your eye on the big picture. Yeah. Keep your eye on the ball. And if you've got a remote idea, there might be eternity out there. There might be something after death. Then it is the single most important thing in the universe. So we wrote the book on spiritual combat, which is kind of like basic training. It's equipment issue. 
you know, the full armor of God, and it's a basic drills, and it's basic training. Now, oh, I've got such great response. So we, we're working on a second book on spiritual warfare, and we had this amazing world-class group of alpha readers, people who volunteered to read through the manuscript, and that's work. It's hard work to read through the manuscript at various stages and give us feedback. And one of our alpha readers is a guy named Dave Kemp. And uh, and uh, Dave, you're you know you're you know you you got a little thing a quote right up from memory. This yeah, got absolutely. Got a copy of the book right here. Yeah. And one of the first thing you see, it's actually when, it's actually it, the, the, very, first the quote, very first thing in the book. Lieutenant Dave Kemp, 28 year veteran police officer, SWAT commander. Get ready to be warriored up and do battle. This book will arm you with actionable intelligence so that you can take your spiritual warfare to the next level. That's awesome. I appreciate that. That was really cool. And I enjoyed, it was really cool just reading through that and learning. I learned a lot of, and we'll talk about this a little bit later too, but it was a a learning experience and, and really appreciate the opportunity to help that out. So we'll go back to the beginning of your career a little bit. So according to the Google machine (laughs) on November 13th, 1974, you enlisted in the army and went to Fort Lewis, Washington, and it looks like you spent a no, lot of time. That was no, no, I, I went to Fort Ord, California, for Fort, basic training. All right, and then uh, uh, and that was the, the army was broken. Yeah, uh, that was post Vietnam. Basic training was pretty much a joke. I mean, they taught right. me to shoot. They taught the basics, but uh, it was out of control. And we really did have Sarge beating up Beetle Bailey, you know. And yeah. uh, and I also uh, heard it was kind of back in the seventies that. Army barracks was a little rough and tumble, and somewhere I think somewhere I read that you can you had the nickname of Spider Man. Well, that you right? know, uh, I was a young uh, private, then a sergeant, 82nd Airborne Division, in the from uh, late 1970s. And if you lived in the barracks and you didn't want to do drugs, you had to fight because uh, the druggies would, uh, you know, if you just do some drugs and you're not a threat to them, didn't want to do drugs and you're a threat to them, and. And I grew up fighting, and I fought a lot. I don't mind fighting. I grew up in the martial arts. But I, I learned just this, this, this hatred for the druggies in the barracks. And, uh, and, and the, you know, here's people who are trained to kill, who carry weapons, who are uh, not following the law and not following the rules. You know, the, the safeguard for every warrior society, every warrior society is faced the same dilemma. We take our young men. We give them state-of-the-art tools to kill people, state-of-the-art training to kill people, send them to distant lands, give them years of practice killing people. Now bring them home. What's to stop them from using their skills on their own people? And I'll cover this in my book on killing and on combat. But, but ultimately, everybody found the same solution. Discipline, discipline, discipline. Every warrior society had distinctive haircuts, distinctive uniform. We don't care what your hair looks like. It's a flaky freaking fashion model. What matters is, whatever the standard is, you obey. And, and to have people who are our nation's trained killers who are out of control doing drugs in the barracks is terrifying. So I went to OCS. I became a young uh, lieutenant. I went to Fort Lewis, Washington, my first assignment as an officer. And, uh, and I just I wasn't going to put up with those druggies in the barracks. I was on the side of the guy in the barracks who wanted to, to stay straight, you know, the the drug users were a total loss. They're not going to re-enlist. They're not playing the game. They're, they're just destroying the people who do want to, to do the job and make it a career. And, uh, and I, I, I ended up um, 
with more drug busts than every other officer in the battalion. So I guess together. you used to climb up the outside of the, I would, of the I buildings would, here. I would or body what? jam. <laughs> they'd be up there on the third floor in the barracks, a little four-man rooms in the barracks, and they'd have the door jammed shut so we couldn't get in. They wouldn't answer to the knock, so I'd, I'd go out and I'd do a body jam up to the third floor, and the windows open and slide in the window. I got you. <laughs> 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 I'm sitting there with the dope nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll you were you were literally yeah. taking your life in your hands back in those days by hunting down the and and I'm a soldier. I'm supposed to put my life on the line. I, I'm ready to fight the good fight. You know they they say that you know combat is 99% boredom and 1% sheer terror. But it's in the 99% that the battle's won. The yeah. training and the preparation and the discipline and the skills ahead of time. So yeah. Ronald Reagan became president. We had the urinalysis program. Uh, we got rid of the, of the druggies, and, and our military pivoted on a dime. Most amazing, yeah. single most amazing yeah. thing yeah. I've ever seen. That's, that's amazing. And you got to have standards. Even in my law enforcement career, I, you notice in society, like, well, we they always say that the police do whatever the community wants them to do. But when the community starts saying like, well, we don't want you to mess around with the 14-year-olds the that are driving around town with no driver's license. We don't want you to, met, to really mess with the kids that are, you know, smoking weed on the street corner. We don't want you to mess with the panhandlers. We don't want you to mess with all the small-time things that by themselves might not seem that, that big of a deal. It all starts to add up to where there's no standards and, and it becomes the Wild West and everybody's doing what they yes. want to do. And the level just of order in society yep. starts to, to go down because nobody wants to keep a certain yep. standard. You know, New York City, uh, quite a while back, Mayor Giuliani and, and, and they, were, they turned New York City around, law enforcement-wise, and, uh, and, uh, and they what they called the broken windows thing. Right. You know, if you've got a, a, a place and, and a window's broken and you just leave it that way, well, pretty soon you have more windows broken. Pretty soon they're all broken. And they're broken into and everything else. But you get a broken window, and get right there and replace that window, then uh, then then the, the the deterioration doesn't happen. Yeah. And, and what you got to do is is deal with those things up front. And and it's it's a fundamental, it's like physics. It's a law of physics. Yeah. If you don't take care of the little things, and in, in, in no time at all, you've got you've got you know a nation of lawlessness with no respect for law and order, with no respect for it. You know, well, you didn't bust me when I was driving as a yeah, as a juvenile. You didn't bust me. I was doing drugs on the street. What what are you doing busting me for 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 shoplifting in this store? And we got this idea now that shoplifters are all Jean Valjean stealing a loaf of bread to feed their family. No, they're not. <laughs> no. You know, they're 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 just been, and that business owner is trying to stay in business. So here we got San Francisco and LA basically businesses shutting down and leaving because of the shoplifting. So what's the next step? Well, armed robbery of the store. You know, well, we, you didn't stop when a shoplifted, and a guy tries to stop me, so I, I beat him, and, and, and we're, we're, it's just this, this downward spiral that we've got to confront. Yep. And, and it's all about God and righteousness. And the, the, verse, the, 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 the verse for on spiritual warfare is uh, Amos 5.15a, hate evil, love good, maintain justice. Boom. Yeah. Spiritual warfare in six words. Says it all right there. Those three things would turn this country around. Amen. And they're, they're really identify what we're not doing. We're, we're not hating evil. We're, we're, we're embracing evil and accepting evil. We're not yeah. truly loving good, yeah. virtuous and righteous and good things. And we are not maintaining justice. Well, and I think that one of the things that you see is this decoupling 
of the founding principles of this country with where culture is right yes. now. Yes. And that is, to quote Benjamin Franklin, this Constitution is for a moral and religious people. Yes. And if we're not a moral and religious people, then the principles, which are biblical principles laid out in the Constitution, are not going to jive with culture. Yeah. And that's what we're seeing. That's why there's such an assault on that stuff. Yes. And we talk about this in non-spiritual warfare. You know, in a republic, or a, a, a democracy, republic such as ours, we are the rulers. Yep. We're the kings. We elect, the people elect their leaders. And, and look in the Old Testament how God treated rulers who did not bring their nation to righteousness. God, God brought judgment on the bad kings. Mm-hmm. God, if, if, we're, if you don't want to accept the responsibility for this nation, then go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Because as a citizen of this nation, you are the ruler. And if you're not voting, and you're not voting for righteousness, then you are condemned. Um, you know, you're, you're still saved, and, you know, Jesus is still your Savior, and you haven't lost your salvation. But there but is judgment. Bingo. There's national judgment. And our nation will yep. pay the price. But while we're talking about bad things, take just a minute, focus on one of the good things I call the podcast revolution. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, we had three networks and one or two newspapers and half a dozen national magazines, and that was it. That was the only way you get a national voice. Today, we've broken that 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 uh, that. that that control they had this absolute monopoly on the news and mm-hmm. i've been on 60 minutes and 2020 back in the day and it meant nothing it was a three-minute soundbite they controlled what you said what part they used people seeking these podcasts people listening to the podcasts. they want deeper levels of knowledge People providing, you're not doing this to make to get rich. You know, people providing the podcast. I, one of the true things out there that should give us hope for our nation is this podcast revolution. Yep. And the people who are doing it, and most important of all, people are out there listening to it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I think that that's probably the biggest thing that we're, we're really excited about is that people are, when you look at, you know, you just look at TV ratings and how they've dipped to almost nothing nowadays. People aren't tuning into the mainstream news. They want to hear what everyday people are saying about this stuff and people yeah. that have that are actually in the fight with them. People yeah. not not these super wealthy millionaires that go go to their, you know, ivory towers after they get done uh, giving the news every night, their prescripted narrative that has been given down by the billionaires or whatever. Yeah. And um, we are we are a part of that and we want to see this grow. Yeah. And that That's is important. Like in 1975 or so, you went to ranger school and what? graduated as a as a ranger. So 1979. 79. 8-79. Man, the Google stuff. Way off on their information. I apologize. <laughs> yeah. Regardless though, what did what did that experience do for you as far as building a resiliency and just yeah. and a, having a sense of accomplishment? What was it like after you jumped into yeah. Victory Pond? and you got a ranger tab like what did that mean to you well you know uh uh, 50 years ago i can tell where i was Uh, i was working 12 hours a day seven days a week on a wildcat oil rig in uh in january february march april of 1974 uh, on the panhandle of nebraska and there we were 20 degrees below out on an oil rig wildcat oil rig they didn't know how to spell OSHA, let alone comply and was the most dangerous thing I've ever done. I was 17 years old, lied about my age. And 12-hour shifts, seven days a week. Man, a lot of money. But man, I was just exhausted. 
I mean, and, and, and this is a, a hard job, and it was hard work, and we had to commute every day, too. You know, we all carpooled, and, and it pushed me hard, and, and it was cold, and it was bitter, and it was hard work. And I was among men, the Wildcat oil riggers, and they were, they were true men. They were hard men, and, and it was just the most amazing thing. And, uh, and, and that was the only thing that even remotely prepared me for ranger school. Because mm. ranger school was days without food and days without sleep. And I was exhausted. And all you had to do was quit. Just say, I'm done. I don't want to do this no more. And, and all of the pain, days without food, days without sleep, we were all having hallucinations. On the third day without sleep, you're psychotic. And, and our hallucinations almost always revolved around food. <laughs> and, Pizza. And, oh, some guy would see, you know, a guy's trying to feed quarters into the, into the tree because he swear it's a, it's a soda machine. You know, guys are seeing the golden arches and staggering out through the woods. And, uh, and, and, and it, was, it was just mind-boggling. Nothing I've ever done has been that hard. Nothing ever, no matter what happened. I mean, you got guys in Vietnam who joke about, you know, we're laying there under fire. And, well, at least we're not still in ranger school. <laughs> I mean, we got a good night's sleep, got a full stomach. Uh-huh. From that point on. Yeah, there's a couple for, of bullets flying around, but, yeah, you know. Yeah, you know, I mean, really, for the rest of your life. Say, so, well, I've, you know, I've, I've had a decent night's sleep, you know, and uh, i got a full stomach. Uh, uh, well, what's the big deal? You know, there's no KIAs, there's no WIAs. Nobody's dead. Nobody's wounded. You know, uh, I, 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 what have I got to complain about? It was it was hard to wrap your mind around it. I mean, a lot of, I mean, the Navy SEALs are amazing people, but they will not go to ranger school. They refuse to. They don't want, they don't like to do without food. They don't want to do that. They've already done their thing. God bless them. But uh, I mean, ranger school really is the best of the best. You know, I'm I'm a, a life member of the Army Ranger Association. And just being a member of the Ranger Battalion for short periods of time does not qualify you to be a member. Mm-hmm. But the very first qualification is to wear the Ranger tab. Boom. Uh, life member, Army Ranger Association. Uh, the other way to be a member of the association is to have served in combat in a Ranger unit or to have been a member of the Ranger unit for, I think, a minimum of six months or something like that to really qualify and to be a member. But in, in the end, uh, what defines a Ranger unit is that the vast vast majority are ranger qualified they're all people who have sucked they've gone without food they've gone without sleep and for i'm I'm talking week after week after week after week i'm a scrawny little sucker i I went through ocs infantry officer basic in the prime of my life in the prime and I, i lost 20 pounds in ranger school uh, I, I, about a decade later, they began to start giving people more food because they realized they were doing lifelong harm to the food deprivation on ranger school. And uh, But the point is that here's what, what makes the ranger regiment, the ranger battalion, is they are all ranger qualified. And what ranger school does is it grinds deep into your soul the troop-leading procedures. I'll tell you a story. You know, I... Uh, uh, I, I was a young infantry captain, company commander at Fort Ord, California, 7th Infantry Division. We're going to uh, Carmel Baptist Church. And one of the deacons there is a guy named uh, 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 Jerry Lidzinski. And Jerry had been uh, number four in his class at West Point. He'd gone to the 82nd Airborne, 
Dominican Republic, which is a little flash during the time, and then he went to Vietnam, and he was a Special Forces A-team leader. And the A-team leaders behind enemy lines in Cambodia, Laos, and North Vietnam, that's what they did. They went, they went behind enemy lines and raised and trained insurgents in Cambodia, Laos, and North Vietnam. And of the A-team leaders who did that job, I was reading a book about Special Forces. Uh, one of them survived two six-month tours, and then there was one who survived five six-month tours, and his name was Jerry Litsinski. And I said, Jerry, is this you? Were you the one that survived, I mean, more than twice as many combat tours as Special Forces A-team leader than anybody ever? Is this you? He said, yeah, yeah, Dave, that was me. I said, well, how did you do that? He says, Dave, it was all ranger school. The troop leading procedures, you know, I'm, I, he said, today I'm a businessman. I have a multi-million dollar business. And I use the military troop leading procedures, backward planning, uh, uh, the, you know, the, I give an op order and a frag order, you know, uh, I, I give warning orders, you know, but our book on spiritual warfare is actually 22 warning orders, the warning and the order. And, uh, and, and, and that's what Ranger School does. I mean, you, all that's grounded your soul is the next mission and the next mission, and, and you're in a leadership position, and you got to have situation, mission, execution, service support, command and signal, boom. You know, uh, you know, God, what, where I'm going, where I'm going to do. And, and, and these are the single best problem-solving mechanism the world's ever seen. And it gets grinded in your soul. This military, under the incredible acid test of centuries of warfare, we have designed this military troop-leading procedure, the op order, the warning order, the backward planning process, got one, everything that comes with it, met T and Okoka. These are all tools for problem solving, the best the world's ever seen, grounded in your soul. And Jerry Litzinski said, Dave, it was ranger school. All I had to do was do the things that were burned into our soul in ranger school, and that stuff works. Yeah, we, we need so many more people, so many more men in America need that. They oh. need that type of resiliency to to start standing up for what's right, what's right in America. And I don't know how your your faith, kind of where were you at with your, your Christian faith back then? Was church something you grew up in or did, did that develop more strongly like during the military or kind of did you grow well, up you in church? I, Tell me about I that. married a, a pretty little girl, my bride of 48 years now. It was, uh, it was just a little over 50 years ago I proposed to her. Uh, she was 15. I was 17 when I proposed to her. I tell people we, we are from Arkansas, you know. <laughs> of course. And two years later, she married a crazy army paratrooper. They'd been in this ride for 48 years. But she was a, a pretty little blonde Baptist girl. And God's used pretty girls to bring a lot of people to the Lord across the years. <laughs> a lot of warriors. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, uh, but she prayed for me, and I was going to night school. Young uh, sergeant, 82nd Airborne, going to night school to get a two-year degree to go to OCS. That was my goal. And, uh, and I, I took a philosophy class, and a guy named David Howell, he was, uh, had a, a philosophy degree from Duke, but he was a local pastor. And he showed me that it was an absolutely rational thing to believe in God. And, uh, and uh, I tried to put that in on spiritual combat, and on spiritual warfare, that's a rational, good, and reasonable thing to do. Uh, you you got to understand that 2,000 years ago, something amazing happened. And four 
literate accounts. Eleven of the twelve disciples died for their faith. Men don't die for a lie. They really saw it happen. Thomas really touched, the doubting Thomas touched the side of Jesus' wound. It really happened. They saw him come back from the, and they knew that there was a life after death. They absolutely knew it. They believed it. And then it's solid Roman history that their disciples, that, that second generation of disciples, they all died for their faith because their disciples died for their faith. They, and, and they didn't have to. You know, our, our faith says, you can say, okay, <laughs> I, I, I really don't believe it. It's all a big lie. Uh, and boom, you're good to go. And, and the, 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 the concept of, of eternal salvation, you haven't lost your faith. You haven't lost your faith because somebody forced you to say, okay, it was all a big game. I don't believe it. They, 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 they didn't have to do that. But they wanted the world to know that death has no power, that I know when I die, I'm going to a better place because I have seen my Savior come back from the grave. And, and today, over two, the largest religion on the planet, regardless of what you believe, they believe, and, and it, was, it became the, the Roman Empire and the Eastern Roman Empire that held back the barbarian hordes for a thousand years. People, oh, no empire lives over a, a hundred years, 200 years, baloney. You know, the, the Byzantium Empire lived over a thousand years. And it was Christianity that sustained them and empowered them and carried them through this time. So uh, uh, David Howell basically convinced me that uh, I came to the Lord with my head. It was a rational and right and reasonable thing to do and, and kind of a... Uh, uh, you know, uh, what one of the great philosophers said that, it, you know, if you're wrong, you lose nothing. And if you're right, you gain everything, everything. It's the most rational, prudent thing for any, anybody to do. And, uh, and so I became active in his church and my wife and I, and a little while later I became a deacon in the church and then uh, went to OCS and active uh, and, and our faith just built and built. And, uh, you know, as a, as a baby Christian back in those days, but you know, you just my, my, my faith just built over time. But the combination of a pretty girl and a philosophy teacher uh, brought me to the knowledge of the Lord. And, uh, and That's awesome. And, and having that foundation to start out with has got, you know, law enforcement and the military are crucibles yes. for yes. being influenced by counterculture. Yes. And you had better you know, have something to believe in or you're going to fall for anything type of thing. And it can, it can be crushing if you don't have your head on straight. Yes. And uh, so it's, it's, it's cool to hear how that kind of helps sustain you through uh, Praise your, God. your marriage, your career, all Amen. of that. The last, and speaking of crazy, the last three, four, five years, as far as our culture and society has been, been kind of wild. And I know it's, I guess, essentially post George Floyd era, uh, there's been a lot of critics that have called your training, they call it fear-based training now. We're trying to scare people into certain things. What, what would you say to the people that would that, that call it Well, that? you know, the, the, the mayor of Minneapolis said, you cannot go to Grossman's training, even on your own time. It's fear-based training. And, and they really included uh, some of the top trainers. You know, they've been attacking like uh, Caliber Press and uh and for science institute you know mm -hmm. these are people that are certified to present in court and these these you know defund the police guys are attacking this and the mayor of, of minneapolis said well you can't go to this training and kind of certified you know grossman and, and caliber press and this other stuff and and so the the union essentially the, the the fop the union of minneapolis police said you can't tell us what to do in our own time and they brought me in and had me train their cops and then they had the mayor's 
police advisory board. These are all citizens who are the mayor's advisory board, and, and they went to my class. Then the class, they said, we've got no problem with this. Well, why do you call it warrior training? I said, no, don't. That's a term that they've used. You know, I, I talk about sheepdogs. You know, I don't use that term. And the mayor's advisory council came back and said, there's nothing wrong with this. This is goofy. What are you doing? And the union basically came out and said, you can't tell us what to do. So what does the media report? Well, the mayor of Minneapolis says that this guy's training is bad, but they, they, they don't give the rest of the story. And uh, the truth is, of every step of the way, we've came out on top. We've, we've uh, we, you know, cancel culture came at us 100 miles an hour. Uh, and uh, um, so we, we rebranded. God brought an amazing Christian man in my office, a retired police detective, homicide detective out of, Cali out, out of Arizona by the name of Mike Baldwin, Retired police detective with a with an MBA in business innovation. How many of those are there on the planet? Mm -hmm. So I'm looking for a new right hand guy to come in and take over ops, and this guy applies and uh, and I, you know it's one of the low point of my life. My wife is having medical complications, uh, the pandemic, I'm carrying the business on my back, you know, dipped into into savings to be able to keep paying my staff and sustain us and. We're doing a lot of uh, a lot of uh, remote work, a lot of podcasts, and carried us on through that. And now we're back up and rocking 100 miles an hour. But uh, uh, it was a hard time, and yet the truth is that we've come out the other end stronger. The defund the police thing has completely imploded. Uh, uh, the, the population is beginning to understand that this is insane. Uh, the backlash in the opposite direction. The the the, the lack of of control of our borders. That people are becoming enraged. I mean, you know, we we send ten thousand to, to Chicago, and they they they're they're broken. Meanwhile, there's 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 millions coming into Texas. How do you expect Texas to deal with hundreds of thousands when a couple of thousand breaks Chicago and breaks yeah. New York City? But all of a sudden, they're complaining about the borders. Yeah. yeah, and on that on that, I I know that you've done a lot of talks about terrorism and kind of what what how that you know infiltrates a country. And let's talk about that for a minute. Like, what is the threat of, we have this open border where hundreds of thousands of people are coming across the border every month. And you see, the vast majority of the ones that I see on video are military-age males. Yep. We don't know what country of origin they come from. So what is what does that say for well, the me, likelihood of a terrorist attack give you an in angle the future? On this. One of the things this administration and the media tries to make go away is the collapse of Afghanistan. Yes. Now... You got to understand something. Russia was in Afghanistan for ten years. Russia left; they immediately followed them home, and they began to give them absolute pure hell. You hunted us down like dogs for Pay ten back. years. Now it's our time. There, it, it is a part of their culture. You kill one of us, we got to kill one of yours. Yeah, tribal even if they culture. Like you, even yep. if you like, we kind of like you guys, but we're sorry. This is the rule. You know, you kill some of ours, we got to kill some of yours. And the primary thing, that one of the most horrendous things, the single worst attack in Russia, was the uh, Bestland School Massacre, yeah. which they took an entire school, they held them hostage, uh, they, they, without food, without water for three days, one day away from death by dehydration. I tell people, nobody in this audience has gone 24 hours without a drop of water. What's it feel like on the third day? There's a school of 1,000 children, most of them elementary age, no food, no water, no bathroom facilities. They crapped themselves and pissed themselves with the sap for three days. Uh, every adult male was dead in the first half hour. 
If you're an adult male assistant like this, you fight from the beginning because you will be on dead on your knees in front of your children's eyes the first half hour. And when the smoke finally cleared, uh, now over over 300 dead, the vast majority of them elementary aged children. Nations thunder their soul, and this is payback. We we don't we don't kill you, we kill your kids. And and they've already been around this block. So here we are. We're in Afghanistan for 20 years. We're under the Taliban like dogs. We went in their caves, we went in their homes, hunted them down. We killed the Taliban like dogs wherever we found them, and then we left. Hey, no hard feeling, guys. And they have an entire nation to fund and train, and equip and deploy. We left $7 billion of military equipment, an entire nation, a burning desire for vengeance. And oh, by the way, they've already been around this block once. And we can tell you exactly what they did last time. And unlike the Russians, who have a, a, a pretty high degree of control of their borders, we have completely given up control of our borders. We have, we have untold thousands, millions over the years coming across our borders. And there could be no doubt if you want to come and attack our nation, and it's just like 9-11, wait for a special day, everybody get on the plane, hijack the plane, and fly it into a building. So we don't know what's coming up next. But if we predict future behavior based on past behavior, you know, there was one year in Afghanistan when the Taliban hit schools 600 times in one year. Their own schools and their own kids and their own nation 600 times a year. You think they won't do it to us? Is what they did to Russia. So we don't know the future, but if we predict future behavior based on past behavior, one of the things common is pick a day and hit daycares and hit elementary schools and hold them hostage and make a, and, and, and murder them over time and, and rig up the, the, in, in the best land school massacre in Russia. They had bombs rigged with the dead man switch. And the bombs went off and blasted children out the windows. And, uh, and uh, if we predict future behavior based on past behavior, uh, this is what's coming. It's coming like a freight train. Yep. Now, so, here we are in Israel. Once again, it's the right thing. It's a good thing. But the entire, you know, this, this whole world, Muslim world is saying, you're evil. You're supporting Israel. Well, Israel is, you know, at, you know in, in Pearl Harbor, uh, the Japanese attacked a military target and killed a little over 1,200 people. And just a couple years later, we nuked cities. We firebombed Tokyo for two nights, killed over 100,000 people, and made a million people homeless. That's war. You killed 1,200 of our people at Pearl Harbor. <laughs> we, we, we nuke cities and firebomb cities and kill 100,000 in two nights and make a million homeless. That's war. If you don't want to deal with that, then don't, don't attack us. They attacked a civilian target in Israel. Uh, this, this slaughter and murder and rape of women and, and, and children. One of the most horrendous, vicious acts in, in, in modern history. And Israel is, is going ahead, and they're righteous in their fury, and, 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 and they're right in their, their goal that we have to tell these people, you will not succeed. We'll hunt every one of you down. We will kill every one of you. Uh, and, and this is war. But meanwhile, here's the people that are ticked off from Afghanistan that are saying, look at these evil people. Look what they're doing right now. And, uh, and once again, uh, the probability of these terrorist attacks coming and trying to hurt us. And how do they hurt you? They don't piss in your water. They don't sprinkle doodle of your sky. They come kill your kids. 
And uh, the idea of school massacres and daycare massacres is very, very much in the cards for these people. We've got, uh, we've got Boko Haram, which is a Islamic terrorist group in northern Africa. Their very word, Boko Haram, means Western schooling is evil. Boko means book, any book other than the Koran. Haram is a religious word, forbidden, evil, sinful. The most common translation of Boko Haram, Eastern, Western schooling is evil. And, and across northern Africa, they've wiped out schools and daycares by the thousands. Wherever children are, they go and attack. And, uh, you know, we've got the Nigerian schoolgirls where they come from schools. They go to school. They murder every living creature except the girls they want to rape. They declare these girls brides. They get of all the brides they want. They take them with the next school and again and again. Where the Nigerian schoolgirls from? From schools that they attacked and massacred and slaughtered. Across Northern yeah, Africa. That's, that's one of the biggest problems I see with civilizations. Civilization in America these days is people don't really see the evil. They don't want to see it. They deny the reality of it, and they pretend it doesn't exist. Yeah. And for whatever reason, I don't know how you could go defend what uh, happened to Israel, and people are doing it. They're protesting for the other side. And when when people don't see that, refuse to see it, you're just begging for something horrible to to happen to you. And if so, if Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman were elected president in November 2024, what's the first couple things you would do? What's what's important? Do you think for our elected leaders to do in America inside of our country? Well, first and foremost, I think anybody's got to be in full agreement to total control of our borders. And second, to systematically hunt down the illegal people that are in our borders and, and get them under control in various ways. This whole border thing has been a political drive. They've, you know, if, it were, if it were conservatives coming across the border, we're going to vote Republican. Nancy Pelosi would be arm in arm with everybody else stopping them coming across the border. They've, they've got this model in their head. These people are going to come across the border and they're going to vote Democratic and we're going to make them all citizens and we're going to give them the vote and they're going to turn the tide for us. And, and it's all a political, very open, straightforward political power grab to bring people on board. But what's happened is they've lost the Hispanic vote. They've lost most of the black vote. They've lost the inner city vote through this blatant power grab by bringing in these vast numbers of people who will assimilate and vote Democratic. And this backfired on them. But it's an evil, evil, intentional, systematic power grab. And it's the first thing anybody has to do is get control of those borders uh, and, and finish the wall and, and, uh, and do all the things that come with it and, and get control of all these people who come into our borders. And uh, uh, these are things that, that, that we can do, and it's got to be the very first requirement. You yeah. know, the foundation of every civilization is, uh, is public safety. Now, here's, here's the, 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 the social contract, the Pharaoh, the Romans, us. Here's the deal. You obey the law, you pay your taxes, and we'll help keep you safe. Isn't that the deal? If we can't keep them safe, why would they obey the law? Why would they pay their taxes? This is the baseline of every civilization is, is public safety. You know, every city, every county, every state, every nation, if you can't get public safety right, nothing else works. Nothing. And you are a broken nation who have failed in your fundamental responsibility. Crime in our cities have exploded like nothing we've ever seen. 2020, an explosion of crime. Uh, homicides exploded over 30%. We've never seen more than a 12% annual increase. The George Floyd effect, uh, uh, homicides exploded. And this year, the police are reporting, well, homicides are down a little bit. But 
the crime survey says crime is way up. We survey Americans, they say crime has exploded. The cops are saying, well, we're reporting less murders. Well, <laughs> we just lost control of whole portions of our city. Murders are happening that aren't being even reported. or uh, You know, we've lost control. And we had all-time record number of cops shot in the line of duty last year. And, and they know where to not go to be assassinated, where to not go to be executed. They've just written off whole ports of our society. Things are coming unglued. Public safety, parts of our inner cities do not even have law enforcement support anymore. And they're the ones that are screaming for, for, for more cops. You know, the, the whole defund the police thing is completely turned around in our cities. Uh, and we need to get control of public safety. The first and foremost responsibility of our nation is to protect our citizens. And we have failed. And I, and I think one of the other things that, that is not talked about as nearly enough is we have a lot of good cops. You know, I know a lot oh, of good yes. cops, this guy right Amen. here, you know, Amen. but I know a lot of, I know a lot of guys in law enforcement that are good guys that want to do the right thing, that want to protect people. And I think that next level up is really where a lot of the problem is. You know, there's, there's well-documented evidence that George Soros funded a lot of these district attorneys elections yes. to get yes. ideologues yes. elected instead of people that would actually enforce the yep. law and back these guys up, yes. you know, they go and actually make an arrest and that guy's out of, out on yes. bail or, or, yes. or just let go yep. a couple of hours later. Well, you can't police people and that this way. This brings us back to our fundamental res biblical responsibility yep. to city government. Over and over, the Bible tells us about the cities and their responsibility to, to, to rule the cities righteously. And, if, you know, and, and, and so... Do you even know who's on your city council? Do you even know who's in charge of your county? Do you know what, what kind of leadership and, and elected officials are in their counties? Are you even remotely in control of your cities? You know, are you running for city council? Are you running for, for school board? If we're down there in the grassroots, we've got to reach out and get control of those things. This is something we can immediately influence, is running for school board, running for city council, finding out who's running, finding out what their background is and who we endorse and our churches endorsing city council members or, or, or the, the, the FOP, the law enforcement, should be standing up and saying, we do not endorse this candidate. We endorse these candidates. And, and across America, you know, cops tell us, well, my FOP, which is kind of the police union, if you will, the federal, fraternal organization of police or whatever your police union, well, FOP won't get involved in local. Then, then run for head of the FOP under, the, under the, 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 this, this, this idea that we will get involved in local politics and we will endorse candidates and we will, we will stand up and say the FOP says do not elect this individual. And if we had if we had police unions, the fire guys do that all the time. The fire guys are knee deep in politics, and somehow the cops think they don't need to get involved. They need to. All of us need to get involved. Yeah, pay attention to what's going yeah. on. And Amen. I think you pointed out another great point is that the churches need to be bringing up righteous yes. men, yes, and and women to fulfill these roles, yes. and getting behind them, yes, because we should be raising these people up in our churches and to running do, them for, for, yes. for office. And I think that that's probably one of the biggest issues we've seen the last couple of decades, where the church has kind of backed out of the political world. They don't really want it because it's so messy and it's so divisive and stuff. Well, Jesus was divisive. The Bible is the most divisive book in the history Indeed. of mankind Indeed. because it tells you that you're a sinner and it tells yes. you that you're not doing well and yes. it's, it's it's offensive to people. So we shouldn't back away from divisive things, but we should raise up people of righteous yes. and and moral and principled people that are going to stand up and say, 
No, we're going to do justice. Yes, we're going to hate evil. And run them for school board and run them for city council. Yes. Or find out who's on the city council that the church will endorse or not endorse. Yep. And and we've got we've got so much that we could be doing down at the grassroots level. And everything else will come with it. If we regain control of the cities, and you're so right, it's those, you know, those, uh, America is very unique in our leadership and that we elect our, 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 our law enforcement leaders. You know, I, I was in England training the cops a while back and a high-level person having lunch with one of their top people in, oh, you Americans, you, you elect your, uh, your law enforcement leaders. I'm going to find some guy and elect him to be my dentist. I said, well, you know, let's see where you're coming from. The truth is that it works. And law enforcement is accountable to the local people. Uh, we, have, we have over 10,000 sheriffs, over 10,000 police chiefs, all of whom are accountable to the local elected officials. And we have well over 1,000 sheriffs, all of whom answer only to the local voters. And that's our great strength, is we are decentralized. The as power as, of the lesser magistrate. Yes. As soon as the, the left gets control of the state, the first thing to do is get rid of the sheriffs. They either eliminate them or they gut them so they have no authority and no power because they want to centralize power. I always told my, my, my high-up cop buddies, being a chief of police in a town is very difficult because you are hamstrung by the people yes. that are controlling yes. sheriffs can essentially do what they want to do for four years. And if the people don't like it, we'll move on to the next person. But they are thing. free to really do what they feel is right to do. And so we'll kind of pump the brakes here a little bit on the serious on the serious stuff. So, so Dave, let's say your entire family's out of town. You're by yourself at home. You got two hours. What are you going to do? Like what, what interests you, like hobby-wise, or if you had time to work on something – really fun what what would you what would you do well i, I got a range in my basement hey man it's it's nothing fancy we're, we're way yeah. behind <laughs> it, it, it's <laughs> nothing fancy i guess i need to knock that wall we should out. Build, <laughs> built a range got, here I, first I, i've got a good vent system i had they, they came in and put it in a good ventilation system and i, I fire clean ammo you've got a fan over here and yeah. uh and <laughs> i've got good. a big pile of rubber bricks and uh, and uh, I, I like to shoot so is the wife okay with the range in the basement she like is, she is I mean, you know they've got some baffling <laughs> uh, you know, they put in some, some you know, yeah. the ceilings are just this kind of kind of two inch uh, rubber sheets. And so they put a little baffling and uh, and, you know, outside the house, it's not like somebody's pounding on a board, you know, and uh, in the house, uh, uh, it, it sounds like somebody's pounding on a board right beside you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but that's it, you know, and uh, uh, so uh, but uh, I like to I've shoot. I don't it. get there near as much as I should. We just yeah. restocked on ammo. And I'll be able to spend a little more time down there. Yeah, that's but I, I really, I really believe in that. I think that if you get, you know, if you're going to carry a gun, you'd be good. I just had a wonderful time at Tombstone Range with a couple of amazing guys. Some neat drills that they gave us, and then I gave them. I gave you a couple of, you know, iron yeah. sharpens iron. Absolutely, a great Absolutely. time together on the range, a fellowship. But uh, you know, we one of the things I do is I teach shooting, and and I love it. And so many law enforcement leaders are embarrassed to be on the range because they can't shoot well. Mm-hmm. And, and what I tell them is, you know, we got to nurture an environment of shooters. I, uh, I, I've co-presented, I'll be at the uh, NRA uh, speaking all three days uh, coming up, in, uh, and I, I've been almost every NRA uh, annual convention. Uh, and uh, and I, I talk about a guy named Greg Stevens, Officer Greg Stevens, May of 2015, yep. Draw the Prophet Muhammad Art Festival. Uh, in the eyes of 
of Islam to draw the prophets a terrible crime. Greg Stevens had been a had been a traffic cop for 37 years, never fired his weapon a life and death event. But uh, Greg had signed on for what he thought was five hours of easy overtime, providing security at the South Gate to the Draw the Prophet Muhammad Art Festival. And two art critics from Arizona showed up with AK-47 body armor. They had body armor, they had rifles, they had the element of surprise. They rolled out of the vehicle, and from 40 feet away, over 30 rounds of rifle fire fired at Greg Stevens, didn't hit once. From 40 feet away, He's got incredible marksmanship. Killed them both in, a, in an incredible uh, uh, feat of marksmanship and courage and skill in American history. Wyatt Earp needed Doc Holliday and two brothers to take out three bad guys. Uh, uh, Greg Stevens took two of them out uh, you know, with, with no warning. Uh, Greg, uh, Greg says two things. He said, first off, he said uh, 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 his department had an open range and ammo available. On a steady basis, when the range was open, I'm available most of the time, he'd be there. Oh, go to the range on you. Sometimes you're on your own time, not even paying you. Go to the range for I'm a Texas cop. I live on dirt. The range is open. The ammo's available. It's like, it's like a free day at the carnival, you know. He said, for 37 years, I made a monthly deposit in a savings account. May of 2015, I made a major withdrawal. Grace Stevens also said, he says, I'm a man of God. So I felt like, he said he, he had a sight picture with every shot. Not a perfect sight picture, but just as soon as he could get back on the sights, he pressed the trigger, he's firing a Glock. And he said, uh, he said, God put his hand on my shoulder. He said, I'll take care of you, but you got to take care of them. And, uh, and you know, uh, uh, I, 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 back to my, my range in the basement, nothing fancy, but that's where I like to spend a little time when I get a chance and... Uh, and work some drills. Yeah, I've prayed a lot of prayers before you know, any of our SWAT team missions or high-risk stuff that, you know, God, I pray that nothing bad happens, but if it does, you know, let my aim be true. Yes, yes, <laughs> praise me, God. Let Amen. me do what, what needs to be done uh, in those situations. Amen. So, um, something else I want to get into is just about the, you know, the family life, we you know we're righteous savages. We talk about shooting uh, we talk about law enforcement and military and, and, and we talk about all this stuff a lot. I don't want to take away from the fact that at the core of us as fathers, as Christians is the love we have for other people. We're yes. commanded to love others yes. above ourselves. Yes. And one of the ways we see that in our families is with our children, yes. grandchildren. I've got two granddaughters now. And, you know, we always tell, I've got a niece that just had a baby recently, uh, Ashlyn, and, and I, you know, I told her and her husband, you know, you don't know what love is until you have a child. It's like you're just pretending to know what love is. Then you have a kid, and it's crazy. And then you have grandchildren, and it's times a hundred. So um, I think, you know, that's the type of love that God has for us, is that same type of fatherly, you know, or parent-to-child love and that's what guides us that's the reason why we we work those dangerous details that's the reason why in law enforcement we we do this job for the for the bigger cause and and the love we have for people in law enforcement we have something called the priority of life scale it's innocent people first then the cops then the bad guys and you hear this saying a lot where it says well our main job as police is to go home every night no it's not your main job as a cop is to make sure all the innocent people go home every night which means you might be in a pretty dangerous place and it might mean you get injured. And I'm not saying we're wanting to get into suicide missions here, but truly the people we serve 
are at a higher place than, than ourselves. And, and we learned that I learned that even more with, you know, being with kids and grandkids and that's, and we try to balance our lives with that, with family and kids and, and, and what we do with them to help keep us grounded and to help keep us have a good perspective of, of what all this means. So one of the main reasons we're here today is to kind of talk about this, this book on spiritual warfare and how, you know, this is uh, really cool. I got the, you know, obviously got to help read this thing a little bit before it came out, like you talked about earlier. But this concept is pretty cool because it's based on military. Mainly law enforcement uses the same type of concept with warning orders. I never heard about this guy named Erasmus before, really. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I heard of Martin Luther before. I think it's where the Lutheran church comes from and yep. and and that. But uh, what do you think Martin Luther and Erasmus, what's, what's their... Uh, effect on on the world and society yeah. like, what what have they done that's that's helped us well, so you know, much 500 there. years ago that uh, erasmus put out his 22 we call them orders or principles for living a virtuous life in a violent world and this is one of the most uh, uh, prominent influential amazing men of his time and then martin luther responded with 22 warnings to go with each of those orders said hey here's the, the warning we put them together into a warning order and uh and and uh, I, I i pray that we can be a blessing to people to reach back and find the old that is strong and the deep roots are not touched by the frost but you know when we talk about family you know the other book that uh, we've got out here is uh at, at my one of my other books came out last year is is on hunting and one of the best ways to prepare for combat is to hunt one of the best ways to prepare your kids is to hunt. The discipline, the structure, the, the rules, the, the, to know what's inside living creatures and to be intimately familiar with it. It means food on the table. And the first time you, you, know, you gut a deer, it, it means food on the table. You see if you're young. The first time you see and smell what's inside a living creature, some terrible crime scene, some horrible accident scene, some combat scene, we set you up for failure. You should have been exposed to that from your youngest days. If you have to use deadly force in defense of people's lives, you should have had experience with shooting, you know, critters and putting food on the table. Before you to have to shoot a member of your own species, you should have had a lot of experience shooting other species. And the, the book on hunting uh, is really, there's this, this triad I've always wanted to do on killing, on combat, and on hunting. Can't understand who we are and what we do until we hunt. Yeah. But this whole idea of the family, uh, and, and you know what, we talk about spiritual warfare. In warfare, you win in large part by killing the enemy. In spiritual warfare, you win by saving them. And, and that's, that, that's powerful. Yeah. And, and how do we do that? And Jesus, Jesus put it, how, how do we do that? He said this, he says, a new commandment I give you, to love others as I have loved you. We're, we're under a new commandment. And to love people, as you say, to love God and love people more than self. This is our commandment. And, you know, and in, in, uh, in, in Jesus said, greater love is known than this, that they lay down their life for their friends. So what manner of love is this? That men and women walk out the door and die for strangers. What manner of love is this? That men and women walk out the door every day and put their life on the line for people that never even met. That's our cops and our first responders. 
And, you know, we, we talk in the book about what makes a great cop, what makes a, fir- a great sheepdog, a great first responder is empathy. Empathy is love with the shoes on in action. Because that great cop says, what if it was my child that had been abused? What if it was my family trapped in that burning building? That's empathy. What if, what if, what if it was my business that's being ransacked and, 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 and robbed? What, what if it was my spouse that had been, a, been, a, been attacked? That, and that's, that's love. That's empathy. That's what sustains us and carries us. So you're so right about our love for our family. But our first responders and our sheepdogs who are willing to put their life on the line for strangers represent one of the greatest levels and manifestations of love anybody could ever, ever, ever want. And, and, and they represent what's true and good and strong about our nation. They walk out the door and put their life on the line for people they never even met. And, 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 and listen to that verse one more time. Greater love is no one than this, that they lay down their life for their friends. But there are many ways to lay down your life. Mm-hmm. There are many ways to lay down your life. And sometimes the greatest love is not to sacrifice your life, but to live a life of sacrifice. Mm. To do a dirty, dangerous, thankless job every day of your life to the utmost of your ability because you know if nobody did it, our civilization no longer exists. Not to sacrifice your life, but to live a life of sacrifice. And they're all around us. People are doing that. And we should honor them and and recognize them and who they are and what they do. Yep. Absolutely. Amen. Amen to that, brother. So here's the, this is the latest book, everybody, on spiritual warfare. Dave Grossman, Chris Pasco. It's a really good, it's a really good read. A lot of times, you know, I've never really been a big reading type of guy, um, but this reads really easy. There's a lot of stories in here. It's not like you're reading an encyclopedia. It is great, especially for the guys, men of faith. This will really, really strengthen your resolve and your faith. Praise so God. Highly rec- recommend this. And also, I got one more, one more thing for you. I, we talked earlier today, and you said that you, know, you feel like you're always trying to fight. You know, like, I don't want to be getting old. You know, I'm 52 years old. I don't <laughs> want to be getting old. So, you know, I'm kind of proud of this patch that I found. And I don't know about you, but every day I wake up and I feel like, you know what? I think today. This is like the best day. Yes. I, think, I think I'm in yes. my so I've got a patch from the Tombstone movie from Doc Holliday. It says, "I'm in my prime." So <laughs> I'll give that to you, sir. I'm going to put this to good use. Put that on. Some, I'm some, in my prime, baby. Put that on. This some. is it. These are the days. You know, Lauren Daigle, a, a, a Christian singer, I like a lot of her stuff. But one of her current hits is, "These are the days." You know, the the good old days. This is it. Yeah. Make the most of them and enrich them and grasp them. Hug your loved ones and, uh, and, 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 and and break the bones and suck the marrow from every day you've been blessed with. Because these are the days that I am in my prime. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So we, we highly appreciate you right. and Mike coming out and coming out to the range doing some shooting with us. It's such an honor to have you here and helping out and, and joining the podcast. So everybody get the book. We appreciate you coming out and, and helping us out with this. And speaking of sucking the marrow out, we're about to go – Suck the marrow out of some good T-bone steaks pretty soon. So uh, for everybody out there, appreciate you watching. Uh, Stay in contact with us on all of our social media out there, YouTube, uh, all that good stuff. If you have comments, questions uh, for the colonel, please send them in, and we'll be glad to try and answer those for you. But thanks for watching. Until next time, it's Righteous Savages. Thank you. Iron sharpens iron. God bless. God bless America.